You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. So, hey, we are um, in a series called Known. Uh, it's all about relationships, all about, uh, you know, being known, knowing others. And uh, we've been talking a lot about, uh, you know, human to human relationships, had a lot of messages on on marriage, a lot of relationships on parenting and how we relate to friends and, and navigate those kinds of relationships. But today, I really felt God lay on my heart to talk about a different relationship. And that's our relationship to him our relationship to God specifically. And so the title of my message is Knowing the Way. Knowing the Way. And um, this is just going to be like Christianity 101, okay? And uh, whether, and I just really believe, God really laid on my heart that there are people in this room today and you're um, an atheist, you're agnostic, or even you're, you've, you're wrestling with your faith, you have these, these doubts and aren't sure, and you've had some experiences that would lead you to believe that there's something out there, but you just, you have all these questions, there's all these holes that you just feel like need to be filled in, and I'm, I'm prophesying right now that God is going to make himself known to you today, that he's going to reveal himself to you in a way that he never has before. And even if you followed him for 50 years, God is going to reveal something new about himself today in Jesus' mighty name. So let's pray real quick. God, I thank you, God, that you are infinite, you are mysterious, you are um, majestic, you are awesome, but you also um, swoop all the way down and make yourself known to us, God. We pray that you would reveal yourself in a mighty and powerful way, that light bulbs would go off. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts opened to what you want to say today in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said... Amen, amen, amen. So really, we're gonna, I'm going to address um, three big questions, okay? I'm not going to say I'm going to answer them because literally these are like the biggest philosophical questions of all of humanity. It would be pretty ridiculous to think that old Pastor Mike can answer them in 32 minutes. It's just not going to happen. But we are going to address them. We'll look at them. We'll talk about them. And those three questions are this. And they're kind of my, my points, okay? Can we know God? Is it possible? If we can know God... How do we know God? And lastly, if we can know God and we know how to know God, should we know God? Why should we? Is it even something that we should care about? Okay, so those are the three, the three questions. And I just want you to know, again, I, my story is, is, a, is I w- I've been a lifelong skeptic, a cynic, a doubter. You know, I'm, I'm very left-brained. I'm an engineer by trade. Um, Pastoring was probably the furthest thing on my radar ever, okay? And so faith for me has been a journey. And for me, I didn't have some radical conversion moment where it all made sense. And I know that for some people, God moves that way. But for me, my journey to faith was slow and I had questions. I had doubts that had to be answered. And I want you to know right now that God is not scared of your doubts. God is not afraid of your doubts. God is not embarrassed by your doubts. The Bible is filled with people who doubted big, like big. And we're talking heroes of the faith, okay? Thomas, one of the 12 apostles. is I feel bad for him. It's like forever known as doubting Thomas. But listen, Thomas said, I, I will not believe unless I can put my hand in his side, my fingers through the holes in his hands. And what, did, what was Jesus' response? It wasn't like Jesus was like, really, Thomas? Is that how it is? After all that we've been through? 
No, Jesus said, Thomas, if that's what you need, here, put your hand, put your finger through the holes in my hands. Put your hand in my side, right? When Peter was walking on water and all of a sudden started to doubt and started to sink, it wasn't like Jesus was like, oh yeah, take that, Peter. You like salt water, you doubter. He bent down and he picked him up and he said, Peter, why did you doubt, okay? Gideon, Gideon, God comes to Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, yeah, I don't know about all this. Listen, God, if you're real, I want you to do a sign. I'm going to lay this dry rug out and you make it wet. And, you know, then maybe I'll believe. So he wakes up and the rug's all wet. But then he's like, he does what every single one of us do. When we see God do something, he's like, well, hold on. There's just dew. It's just the dew. That's why the rug's wet. So no, no, no. This time I'm going to wet the rug and put it out. And when I wake up, it better be. And it wasn't like God was like, you know what, Gideon? I don't have time for this, bro. I got things to do. He answered his doubts, right? Abraham doubted. You know, how can this be? Uh, um, John the Baptist, whom Jesus said, there is no one greater born of women said, are you the one? or should we look for another? He doubted. And what did, what did Jesus do? Not only did he answer him, he said, you go and tell John what you see. He also then right after said, there is no one, no man born of woman greater than John the Baptist. It wasn't like John the Baptist doubted. And he was like, well, I thought you were my guy. I thought you were my guy, but you're not, right? God is not scared of your doubts. There are answers for your doubts, okay? And so if you're in here and you're wrestling with your faith and you know, you're, you're like on board, but there's just some things you don't, or maybe you're like, man, I wanna be on board, I'm not sure. I just want you to know that there are answers for your doubts today in Jesus' mighty name. So let's look at these three questions. Can we know God? Well, uh, again, it's probably like, the single greatest philosophical question of humanity. I'm not going to tell you that I'm going to like come up with a, a ironclad answer in eight minutes for you. But what I do know is my own story. Okay. And like I said, I have been a lifelong, like faith is hard for me. I have a very rational brain. I need to understand things. I need to have my head around things. And what I realized about my, myself and the way that I, I thought about God and the way that I felt like I, I, I needed 100% certainty, okay? Before I'm, I'm gonna give my life to this thing, to Christianity, I mean, I need to like know. And I'll give you a silly example, but I am a diehard Dallas Cowboys football fan. Thank you, thank you, come on. Born and raised in Dallas, Texas, okay? When I was a little boy, like in the 90s is when the Dallas Cowboys were like a football dynasty. Like my whole childhood was going to Super Bowl parties, pretending I was Emmett Smith, playing football out in the street. Like that was my, my life, okay? Now, my Christianity seriously cramps my Dallas Cowboys fandom, okay? I don't know who decided church had to be on Sunday or who decided that football had to be on Sunday too, but it's like, I don't get to watch near as many Cowboy games as I would like. I have prioritized this over watching the Cowboys, okay? I watch it when I can, but you know, and it's gonna be, if, if at the end I die and it's just blackness, I'm gonna be like, shoot, missed out on so many Cowboys games I could have watched, right? And so I like, I, I, you, and listen, on a serious note, okay? Like I'm a, I'm the campus pastor of this campus, okay? And I'm a volunteer, okay? And I want you to know that because like I have given a lot of myself to this, to the call of God, to what God is doing in this city. It's because I believe in it and I, and I, I needed to know 100% certainty. But here's the problem, okay? We demand 100% certainty before we'll believe, before we'll follow God, before we'll say yes to Jesus. 
but we don't demand that kind of certainty in literally any other area of our life at all. And I will just imagine somebody who will not act, will not make a single decision unless they have 100% certainty. Imagine that person comes into church today. They're wandering around. They find a seat. Say, oh, this seat looks nice. Maybe I'll sit right there. Well, hold on a minute. How do I know that some usher, after years of service for Awakened Church, has not become disgruntled and removed some of the screws from this chair? How can I? I don't know that. How can I be sure? So you'd have to get down on all fours and lift the chair up, count the screws, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, I think I'm good, right? And then you say, well, hold on a minute. How do I know with 100% certainty that at the chair factory, when they were making the chairs, that out of all the chairs, they didn't miss the QAQC on this chair. How do I know it's going to support my weight? I could sit on it. I could fall down, get embarrassed, hurt myself. So we got to test it. Uh, you know, I weigh about 200 pounds. Anybody else in here weigh 200 pounds? Okay, can you come and sit in this chair for me? I need you to test it first, make sure, right? Then you like go to Lolita's. You're like, man, I would love to have lunch. Can you make me a burrito, a California burrito? But listen, I don't know with 100% certainty that back there in the back, they're not spitting in my burrito or putting stuff in there. So I got to go. I got to watch. Do you mind if I walk back around and watch them make the burrito? And they're going to be like, no, sir, you can't. That's a health violation. You, you can't come to the back, right? So like, if you didn't make a single decision unless you had 100% certainty, you would do nothing. We take everything on faith, everything, everything. Imagine like this building. How do you know that the structural engineer wasn't drunk when he designed it? It was like, oh, that girders, who needs girders? That column, that's, uh, that's about right. You don't know, right? When my, when my wife's um, uh, dad, my father-in-law, he had, he had throat cancer a couple years ago. And, and, you know, they're like, hey, we need to do radiation. It's like, okay, yeah, sure, if you say so. And, and they're like, we're going to point this thing at your throat and fire radiation beams into your throat. And he's like, okay, you know, <laughs> yeah, I guess. And it wasn't like he was like, well, hold on a minute. I'm going to go get my medical degree. I'm going to specialize in oncology. And in a few years, I'll come back and then we'll reassess, right? We take everything on faith. Everything. But for, for some reason, and it's, it's how you know that there's a spiritual component to it, we doubt, we demand 100% certainty. This like ironclad, when we don't have that for literally anything else in our universe, Okay. And I, in my own journey to faith, um, there were um, some, some weird places in the Bible that actually gave me great comfort. And I want to share them with you. Um, and the first one is in, in Luke 1, verse 1. Okay, so this is, you understand the book of Luke um, was written as this massive volume of not just Luke, but also the book of Acts. So Luke and Acts is one seamless work written by a guy named Luke. Surprise, surprise, creative title. Um, so he wrote the book of Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts as one big, massive volume. And actually, if you look at straight up word count, like if you count the words in, in Luke's works, he actually wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else, even more than Paul. Paul wrote more, more letters and more books, but actually Luke contributed more to the New Testament than anybody else, okay? And this book is, you need to understand, Luke was a physician, okay? He wasn't like some 
like poet, hipster, free spirit, like just like, oh, let me write down some beautiful prose about the Messiah. He was a doctor who took copious notes, who organized all of his information, told this incredibly precise narrative. And in Luke 1, verse 1 through 4, this is the way that he starts out this massive, um, this massive work. He says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, verse four is the big thing, that you may know the certainty concerning the things that you have been taught or instructed, okay? Listen, your Bible does not demand that you have blind faith at all, okay? It wasn't like Luke was like, listen, Theophilus, I know some of the stuff I'm saying is crazy, just don't worry about all that. Just close your eyes and believe, right? No. Luke said, I am writing this to you so that you may know, so you can have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And then the apostle Paul in the book of Acts is wandering around the Middle East preaching and and telling people about Jesus. And and, and again, it it brought me great comfort. You, You see over and over again, it says that Paul went into the synagogues and he reasoned with them reasoned with them. He, he made an argument and convinced them, not using sleight of hand and like, look over here, look over here. Oh, Jesus. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like he was like, you know, hey guys, just, you just got to close your eyes and believe. We're just, just uh, don't worry about all the details. Just believe. No, he reasoned with them, right? In 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about um, Jesus's resurrection. And he says, first he appeared to Peter, then the 12, and then to 500 others, many of whom are still alive. Go talk to them. Paul was saying, listen, if you, if you need convincing that the resurrection happened, that Jesus Christ of Nazareth died and rose again, don't take my word for it. Go ask the people that saw him, that talked to him, right? Your like Christianity is not a blind faith religion. It is based on an event in history, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, okay? When you have a newspaper, it's of the news, of all the new things, all the new things, the news. That's what the news is, is all the new, all the new stuff. And so in, in Christian, you'll hear the gospel, which just means the good news. And it just means something happened in history, a new thing happened in history, and it was really good. Okay? And again, it's, your Bible does not expect you to have blind faith. Okay, You can know, you can have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And so again, my experience is, yes, we can know God in a real powerful way. Know that he's true. And, and second question, all right, cool. So we, we can know God. It's good news. Well, great. How? How do we know God? Okay. Now, I'm going to use um, an analogy here. I'm a little nervous about it because... It's a little controversial, but just hang with me, okay? So, Lord Byron was this uh, poet, thinker guy at the height of the Romantic period, and he said, what a strange thing is man, and what a stranger thing, woman. (laughs) So when we think about knowing God, okay, God is this infinitely complex creator being, and we're just these finite creatures. I think we can learn something from the relationship between a man, very simple, and complex women, okay? Now, if you're a, if you're a woman in here, don't get, listen to me. I want you to follow me very closely. You are complicated, 
You are complex, okay? And I'm about to give you a biblical unpacking of why that's true. And at the end, you're gonna own it and be like, you're right, I am. I'm, I'm complicated and I'm proud of it, okay? So I'm gonna, use, I'm gonna use the entire stage for the sake of this analogy, okay? We, we really need a sense of space to, to get this, all right? So Genesis and the creation account. Day, you'll, you'll notice that as God is creating, it always moves from least complicated to, to most complicated, okay? Every new day, there's something that's a little bit more complicated, a little bit more. So day one, light, dark. That's it. Photons, no photons. That's it. Just on, off, binary, one, zero. That's all he made, okay? Light, no light, okay? Day one. Day two, he creates the sky. There's a firmament, an expanse between the waters, right? So now we have atmospheric stuff. We've got some, some pretty basic molecules. We've got hydrogen. We've got nitrogen. We've got oxygen, okay? Day two, so a little bit more complicated. One day, a little bit more complicated. Next day, um, is uh, he causes dry land to appear and some plants to sprout up. So now we've got minerals. We've got elements. We've got some more complex molecules. We actually have some biological organisms with plants, okay? Then day four, a little bit more complicated. And then we have the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the, the cosmic physics that go into that, right? Then day Day five, we've got birds and fish. So you've got non-mammals, but actually starting to get some, comp- some complex biological be- creatures, right? And then we get to day six. And on day six, it's like in the morning, he makes all the, the creeping, crawling things, the horses and the beasts of the field. And then he makes man on the same day, mind you, okay? So it's like, it's like horses and like, and then it's like man. Then God stops, Okay. And then he lets Adam name everything. He says, what are you going to call? He says, well, I'll call this the aardvark. That's cool. Uh, platypus. That'd be funny. <laughs> uh, you know, we'll call this an anteater because that's what, I mean, I'd watch it. It eats ants. We'll call it anteater. That's cool. Um, and, you know, and he's just naming all these animals. Time passing, time passing, time passing, time. Just naming, naming. And then it says that he was, that God did not find a helper suitable for Adam. So then, after all that time, whew, he makes woman. Okay. <laughs> Come on, come on. So listen, ladies, you were the last thing that God ever created. And in creation, it always goes from least complicated to most complicated. Now, it's about to get a little nerdy on you guys. If we assume a linear relationship between time and creative complexity, you have Day, night, one day, a little bit more complex day two, a little more complex day three, a little more complex day four, a little more day five, a little more day six. (laughs) (laughs) Women. Okay? So listen, ladies. You're complicated, you're complex, but that's okay. You are the crown of creation. It's how you were designed. And listen, men, don't you dare make your wife, girlfriend, fiance feel bad for being complicated. That's how she is. That's how God made her, all right? Come on. All the men are like, stop it. Shh. I don't know. Okay? So, how did Mike, just a little bit more complex than a horse, Get to know Katie, this complex being, okay? Well, a couple things had to happen, okay? I had to express 
interest in knowing her. And she had to disclose things about herself to me. Both of those things have to happen in order for two beings to get to know one another, okay? So if she was like, just, you know, hey, here, this, is, this is who I am, this is what I liked, but I was just like, yeah, okay, cool, see you later, then we wouldn't get to know each other, right? If I was like, please, I, just, I will do anything to get to know you, tell me everything, tell me more, and she was like, yeah, sorry, not gonna do it, then we wouldn't get to know each other, right? So both of those things have to happen for two beings to get to know each other. There has to be a desire on one end and self-disclosure on the other end, okay? So when we look at how we relate to God, how we can know God, Jesus is God's self-disclosure about himself, okay? And we're gonna look at John 14, okay? Very famous um, uh, piece of New Testament scripture. We're gonna read through it. And John 14, six, you've probably heard it before. I'd say outside of maybe the Great Commission in John 3, 16 is, is maybe the, the third most, most quoted piece of New Testament scripture, okay? So we're gonna read it here in a second. I'll set it up as you flip there, John 14, um, or tap there on your phone, whatever. So this is right after Jesus has told the disciples that he's gonna die. And for them, it's like, what? Like we left everything thinking that we were going to be a part of this crazy military coup to, to take, you know, Israel back and da, 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 da. And then he's like, yeah, I'm going to die. And they're just like, no, 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 no. Hold on a minute. How can this be? I don't understand. And so this is Jesus comforting them um, after he's broke this news. Okay. So John 14, starting in verse one, we'll read through verse seven. It says, let not, this is Jesus speaking, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Thomas, of course, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Jesus is God's self-disclosure of himself, okay? And the best, um, the best analogy I've ever heard for this, is not my own, I, I, I get no credit, it's from C.S. Lewis, um, and it was an essay he wrote called The Seeing Eye, and it was in response to um, cosmonaut Yuri Garganov, I think is how you say his name, the very first man in space. And so he went to space, came back, and he said, I've been to the heavens and I saw no God there. And so C.S. Lewis is writing, you know, kind of a, a rebuttal to this. And he's just basically like, that doesn't make any sense. Like you wouldn't expect God to relate to us in the midst of his creation, the way that we relate to other things that are in his creation. It's not like, it's not like space is like the second floor and we're on the first floor and God just lives on the second floor, right? And so he, so he says that this is instead, this is C.S. Lewis saying, we should think of God relating to us the way that a playwright would relate to the characters of his play, okay? And it's like, I was in Chicago, um, just, I just got back a couple days ago, and um, it was terrible. It was nine degrees, by the way, just so you feel bad for me. And I was just like, praise God for San Diego. 
and um, was driving around um, and was in a suburban neighborhood, and, and there's a Frank Lloyd Wright house. And if you know who Frank Lloyd Wright is, probably the most famous American architect for sure, um, but one of the more famous architects ever. And, um, and he's got a handful of, of houses and, and buildings in Chicago. And I was just kind of thinking, like, what if I went into a Frank Lloyd Wright house and was just, you know, looking around, pay the little fee to, to take the tour or whatever? And I was just like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I don't really think Frank Lloyd Wright designed this, though, I'll tell you that much. And the tour guys were like, well, why not? So he's not here. I mean, if he built it, why isn't he here? I mean, come on. And it's something that you hear kind of from, from people struggling, for, you know, or, or atheists. Or it's like, why would God make all of this and leave no evidence of his existence? And it's, well, I would argue there is evidence of his existence. But it's like, it's like that. It's not like you go into a Frank Lloyd Wright house and say, I don't think he designed this because he's not here. Right? Now, Frank Lloyd Wright, his creativity, his, his design skills, his personality is in that home, but he's not physically in it. It would be ridiculous to think that an architect must dwell in every single thing that he built, right? And so C.S. Lewis is saying, think of a play. So just take, like, Hamlet. You, you may have heard me share this analogy before. Again, this is, I would say, outside of the Bible. This is one thought that has ministered to me more than anything else. And he said, think of a play. Think of Hamlet, Okay. How would the characters in Hamlet understand the notion of William Shakespeare, okay? I mean, in some senses, William Shakespeare is, is present throughout every square inch of the play of Hamlet. He wrote it. It's all his creativity, his thought. He designed the characters. He designed the setting, right? But then in other senses, he's nowhere to be found in it, right? He's not a character in the play, da-da. And so imagine going up to Hamlet. You're, you're a character in Hamlet, living in Hamlet's world, and you go up to Hamlet and say, hey, Hamlet, have you heard of the creator, William Shakespeare? And Hamlet's like, no, I haven't. Who, who is he? And you, think about trying to explain that to him. It's like, well, in uh, Hamlet's like, was he like a character like us? It's like, well, no, he's, he's not a character. He's kind of outside of, 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 of us, but like he made us, he designed us, and he made all this, and really everything that we, we do, he kind of is in charge of. And like, imagine how difficult it would be to try to explain the notion of William Shakespeare to Hamlet. The only way that, will, that uh, Hamlet or any of the characters within Hamlet could have a personal relationship with William Shakespeare is if William Shakespeare himself wrote himself into the play as a character. And that is exactly what God did with Jesus Christ. He wrote himself into the play so that we could know him. Colossians says he is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know who God is, what God is like, you look to Jesus. If you want to know how God thinks, what God cares about, you look to Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is God's self-disclosure. The way that we know who God is is through belief in Jesus Christ. That's how we can know God. And lastly, why should we know God? Is it even something we should, even if we, we can and we know how, is it something we should care about? Is it something that we should strive for? Is knowing God even important? And I would look at, at what Jesus says in John 14, 6. You know, he said, I am the way. And you have to understand the he's emphasizing the way because he's, he's answering Thomas's question. Thomas says, well, how do we know 
we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? So he says, I am the way. But then he tags on, and the truth and the life. The reason, the reason that we should want to know God, strive to know God through faith in Jesus Christ is because he is the truth. He is the life. And listen, we live in a, a postmodern age, especially in Southern California, it's crazy, where truth has become this really weird thing where you hear people say things like, oh, I'm just speaking my truth. You know, hey, that may be your truth, but I'm just being true to my truth or whatever the heck that even means. That doesn't even make any sense, okay? Like the nature of the word truth is that it's universal, that it applies to everybody at all times, always, okay? So you're using the wrong word. You can say belief, that, that's my, I'm just speaking my belief, that's fine, right? But you cannot say, like truth has become this weird relative thing and it just, it, make, it gives nobody any, any, any solid ground to stand on. Listen, there are things that are universally true, okay? And when I say universally, what I mean is it doesn't matter if you're a Jew in first century Palestine, you're a single mother in Chicago, Illinois, you're a knight in England in the Crusades, whatever. It's always true regardless of culture, time, socioeconomic status, skin color, whatever. It's a universal truth. I'm gonna give you a silly one, but it's gonna make my point. Let's say, well, Let's not let's say, I'm going to tell you, and you know this, 10 is greater than five. We agree? Everybody good with that? Do I need to unpack that? Okay, good. <laughs> 10 is greater than five, always. It doesn't matter where on earth you are on Mount Everest, 10 is more than five, okay? At the bottom of the Mariana Trench, 10 is more than five, always. It's a universal truth. Now, what if you say, that's not my truth. I'm just speaking my truth, and uh, my truth Five is greater than 10. It's my truth. I'm going to speak it. Great. Sure. Whatever. You can. But then imagine you're at Lolita's. Lolita's is running a special. They have the 10 taco plate and they have the five taco plate. And this special today, they are offering them both for the same price. So you would say, ha ha, can't fool me, baby. Give me those five tacos and you're missing out. Your lack of understanding of the truth is causing you to miss out, okay? And listen, I'm gonna give you, that one was pretty gentle, I'm gonna give you a really rough one, okay? Because it's serious, it's important, okay? There was a, a, a flight uh, that left Miami, Florida, this was back in, I think maybe 1997, landed in Lima, Peru, and then took off again from Lima, Peru. I, I don't remember where it was going. It didn't ever get there. Um, and on this flight, they left Lima at about midnight, flying west over the Pacific Ocean, pitch black. No visual reference, can't see anything. It's dark outside, below you is just miles and miles of blackness, Pacific Ocean. And their altimeter, the device that tells you how high up in the air the plane is, is malfunctioning. Their airspeed indicators are malfunctioning. And so the, the pilots believed that they were 9,700 feet above the surface of the water. And they weren't. They were only 100-something feet above the surface of the water. Okay? And listen to me. It wasn't like they were 
They knew the truth and were choosing to ignore it. They believed with all of their hearts. They were, I mean, their lives were at stake, okay? Their, their, the, the lives of 70 other people on board were at stake. It wasn't like they were just like, eh, being irresponsible. They believed with all of their heart that they were 10,000 feet above the surface of the water, but they weren't. That wasn't the truth. The truth was that they were only a couple hundred feet above the surface of the water. And so they went to make a left turn and the wing dipped into the Pacific Ocean and just, you know, the plane was annihilated and everybody on board was killed. And I know that's heavy, but listen, when you operate outside of what is true, it can be very, very destructive, okay? Like you look at, and you know, now it's like the, the, gospel that's being shouted is like absolute truth is is constricting and how dare you push your truth on me I'm gonna seek my own truth and and don't confine me you can't put that label on me it's all you know and, and we think that the highest virtue is the absence of all restriction that freedom means to have no restrictions whatsoever and that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard think about I was this is embarrassing okay but I was thinking the other day about the little mermaid I'm secure, I'm gonna merge, man, whatever. And in The Little Mermaid, you know, Ariel's singing her song, you know, I wanna be where the people are. And, and what if Flounder, the little fish, little blue and yellow guy, Ariel's buddy, was like, yeah, I wanna be where the people are. Ariel, take me with you, I'm tired of this water confining me, I need to be free. Take me up where the people are. And she's like, sure thing, little buddy, we're gonna do this together. I don't think Ariel talked that masculine. She... Anyway, and so she picks him up and she says, let's go. And then he gets up and he's like, I'm free. <laughs> right? He's a fish. He belongs in the water. How silly would it be to say, oh, this water is confining me. I'm constrained. I want to be free. I don't want any restrictions. Don't tell me about your truth. Take me to the air. The fish was designed to be in the water. You can take your Prius off-roading if you want. You can do it. No one's gonna stop you, but that's not what it was designed to do. You're not gonna get very far. You're gonna ruin your Prius. You're gonna be embarrassed. It's gonna be really sad, okay? You were designed to live a certain way, and when you understand the truth, you come into alignment with the principles that govern our universe. It will go better for you. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the truth. I am what is true. And lastly, Jesus said, I am the life. I am the life. And you know, I don't have some fancy analogy or rational breakdown. I just, I just know my story, okay? And a decade ago, I was a disaster. Just an absolute mess, just like a cornered animal, just grasping for any kind of meaning, significance, looking to sex, looking to drugs, looking to booze, looking to anything that I could to give me some sense of that I, that I was doing something that I mattered that, and, and I was just the most insecure, like addict to acceptance and approval. And it was hard to be around somebody like that, you know, and I, I was hard to be around. Okay. And, and what I know is that Jesus is, 
was the way, the truth, and the life for me. And no, I, tr I tried a million things, everything I could to fill this hole in my heart, this hole in my mind, and none of it satisfied, none of it fit, but Jesus is the life. And I'm telling you, I can't even, the things that God has done with my life, with Katie's life, the things we've been able to see, the places we've been able to go, the, the things we've been able to do is not because I'm awesome in any way. On the contrary, I was like, a, you would not have liked me at all. You'd be like, somebody else please be friends with this guy because it's really hard. I, I'm not, I don't want to do it, okay? But Jesus saved me, elevated my life. And listen, the promise of Jesus Christ is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so the Christian worldview holds that once human consciousness starts, it will go on forever, okay? And that's either true or it's false, okay? But, but the, the, the position of Christianity, what Jesus says is that we will live forever. And the promise of Jesus, if you believe in him, is everlasting life forever, and that's awesome. But it's not just that, it's actually life now. It's not like Jesus said, hey, follow me, and you know, I'm gonna give you this sick pad in heaven, it's gonna be cool but the next 60 years are gonna suck. That's not the message of the gospel. Jesus said, I came that you may have life, that you may have it more abundantly, that you would walk in favor, that you would walk in blessing, that you would have joy, that you would have peace that surpasses all understanding, that you are an overcomer, that you are more than a conqueror, that you are victorious in Jesus' name. He gives you life. He is the life giver. And so I wanna just pray for some people here this afternoon. And so I'd love it if every head would bow, every eye be closed. And um, you know, you may think this is, is weird or, or whatever, and that's fine. I mean, I just really wanna give some space for people to self-reflect, close your eyes, ask yourself these questions. Do I know God? Do I know him? Have you allowed Jesus to be the way, the truth and the life for you? Bible says that he stands at the door of our heart and he knocks and that all you have to do is open the door and let him in and it says he will come in he will dine with you and you will dine with him Romans 10 9 says if you, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead then you will be saved it doesn't say you've got to go and rack up a bunch of good deeds to outweigh some of the bad ones you've done. It doesn't say you need to go and make amends or say you're sorry to all the people you've wronged. It doesn't say you need to say a bunch of Hail Marys or whatever. It just says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and you will be saved. So if you're in here this afternoon and you say, you know, I've been wrestling with, with doubt. I've been kind of one foot in, one foot out. Maybe you're, maybe you're a complete atheist and God is knocking on the door of your heart and you don't need 100% certainty. There's no such thing, my friend. We make our decisions based on available evidence of, of our own experiences, of the experiences of others. And so I wanna encourage you today, if you know that you need to 
believe in Jesus for the first time, or maybe you did a long time ago, maybe you grew up in the church or whatever and have since fallen away, slipped away, but you're back, God is welcoming you with open arms. Or maybe you're just in here and you just feel far from God, like there is an infinite space between you and him, and he is calling you back today. So if you're any one of those three categories of people, I wanna pray for you, I'm gonna include you in my closing prayer. So I'm gonna count to three, and I want you to shoot your hand up nice and high so that I know who I'm praying with. So again, you're in here and you've never made a decision to believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Or maybe you did a long time ago, but you've since fallen away, or you just feel far from God this afternoon. If that's you on the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand up so I can pray for you. One, two, three. Who are those ones? Awesome. See that hand, see that hand, see that hand, see that hand. Who else is there needs to make that decision today? See that hand, my man, so proud of you. Who else needs to make that decision? Come on, I want to include you in this closing prayer. Don't you dare, don't you dare let what other people think about you make you walk out of here the exact same way that you came in. If you know you need to make this decision, shoot your hand up in the air and I'm gonna pray for you. Come on, who else? Awesome, man, I see that hand right there. Brilliant, brilliant, who else? Just a couple more seconds, wanna um, allow God to move in people's hearts. If I've seen your hand, you can go ahead and put it down. Anybody else that wants to say this prayer along with me and make this decision to believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Hey, can we give everybody an incredible round of applause that made that decision, raise their hand. I'm so proud of you. Man, you are in for the ride of your life. So can we do me, go and hop to your feet really, really quick. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna walk you through a very, very simple prayer, okay? And if you raise your hand, you're gonna repeat this prayer after me. And here's the cool thing. We're not just gonna make you say it all alone. Like, that'd be a little weird, right? Everybody in this church is gonna say this prayer loud and proud because listen, when you follow God, you get God as your father but you also get a bunch of brothers and sisters as well. And we just wanna welcome you to the family of God as your brother. So glad that you made this incredible decision. So let's say this prayer together. Come on church, everybody in the building. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today for sending Jesus the way, the truth, and the life on a rescue mission to save my soul. Today I repent of all of my sins, past, present, and future. Today I declare that I am a child of God. Heaven is my home. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.